How do we advocate for religious liberty for all and yet wrestle with the difficult questions of how sometimes one person's liberty might discriminate against another? We'll be talking to Amanda Tyler of the Baptist Joint Committee. Stay tuned. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm pleased to welcome Amanda Tyler to the program today. Uh, Amanda is the executive director of the Baptist Joint Committee in Washington, D.C. And again, uh, first of all, welcome. We're glad to have you, Amanda. And Hi. welcome back to Texas, especially. Thank you, George. I'm so pleased to be on your excellent podcast. Well, thank you. And I think people would be interested to know, first of all, when we have language like Baptist Joint Committee, Baptist and joint, uh, those, those two things usually don't go together in people's minds. That is collaborative and you know bringing people together. Right. Say something about the history of that uh, Baptist Joint Committee. Absolutely, and it's something we really like to emphasize. So the Baptist Joint Committee has been around for more than 80 years, yes. and since our beginning, we've been a collaboration, a coalition of different Baptist groups coming together around uh, the issue of religious liberty, which mm -hmm. is really a Baptist distinctive. So formed in the 1930s as a project of the Southern Baptist Convention, the American Baptist Churches, right. and the predominantly African-American National Baptist Convention, mm -hmm. three groups that that did not agree on a lot now, let alone in the 1930s, could come together and work Around collaboratively. religious liberty. Exactly. And I think, if I remember correctly, we've had like 17 uh, Baptist groups or something like that that have been part of that joint committee. Right. Right, At, right now, our current number is 15, 15. supporting okay. bodies yes. uh, from across, um, across the spectrum, all kinds of Baptist life across right. the country. Right. And I think uh, the, the thing that many people who are not Baptists lose, well, more and more Baptists are losing their memory of this as well, but the whole idea of religious liberty in America was very much a Baptist idea too. So the First Amendment to the Constitution, Baptists had more influence on that than any other religious body in the United States. You want to talk a little bit about that history? Yeah, I'd love to. And, and really, it started before we were Americans. Yes. Uh, in Europe, right. uh, Baptist historian Bill Leonard likes to say Baptists invented religious liberty, at least in the English language. Okay. Uh, so, so I like to claim that history. And then uh, Baptists had a rich history of dissent once we were here uh, in the colony. Colonies mm -hmm. and were persecuted religious minorities in many of the colonies. Right. And so it was born out of both that adversity of experience, but also out of their theological uh, commitment to freedom, mm -hmm. yes. to uh, that, that we are only able to say yes to God if we are also able to say no to God. Yes. And that we are going to defend that right, not just for ourselves, mm -hmm. but for believers of all faiths and also those who don't claim a faith tradition. Which is a remarkable thing for a lot of people to hear a Baptist say, I think, because uh, in some ways, a funny thing happened on the way to us becoming so culturally dominant, especially in the South, right? Yeah. We, we had a, a sense of amnesia about where we came from, and we kind of got used to being in the majority consciousness in our communities. And that breeds a sort of uh, prerogative, doesn't it? Absolutely. 
Privilege, Privilege is a word that we hear a lot of now. I, I, complacency, yes. too. I mean, I think right. that religious liberty is one of those values that we tend to pay attention the most when it's being threatened. Yes. And when things are going well for us, mm -hmm. when we are not threatened uh, by a majority culture, mm -hmm. we tend to take it for granted and yes. can forget what it was like to be oppressed, uh, mm -hmm. to be persecuted. And so to keep that memory alive and relevant uh, for us now is, I, I think, something that we're called to do. Well, we'll get into some actual examples of that in a little while. I think people would like to know, perhaps, how did Amanda Tyler get involved in all of this? And I, I think it's kind of uh, interesting to follow the pattern of your life. Uh, Austin, Texas, Highland Park Baptist Church. So you learned about religious liberty from Baptists. I did. Growing up in the church. I did. And from that faith community in particular, and I was so fortunate, the patriarch of our church, the one whom the fellowship hall was named after, had worked for the Baptist Joint Committee in the 1960s. Yes. And so when I went to college at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., my first semester in school, he happened to come to Washington and mm -hmm. offered to take me to dinner. And yeah. when you're a college freshman, you say yes to yes. a free dinner from home. Right. So I went and he said, oh, on the way, let's go by this place, the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty, because you need to know them and they need to know you. And little did anyone know. Little did we know. Where but doesn't that way. really go to something of how the mystery of how God helps us discern our vocations? Yes and how important it is for us to introduce young people to things we think they might have an aptitude for or an appetite for. Absolutely. I am so grateful to Jim Sapp, who yes. is no longer with us, but for his vision, for his believing in an 18-year-old right. um, who, I, you know, I always had this deep interest in law and politics and mm -hmm. religion and how those things intersected. And so he saw that in me. Um, and he also believed in the work of the Baptist Joint Committee enough right. uh, to continue to introduce new people to the organization. At the time, James Dunn was the executive director, and mm -hmm. anyone who knows James Dunn, I don't have to describe. For those who don't, just uh, more personality. An character, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. So <clears throat> you end up volunteering yeah. during your college years at Georgetown for the Baptist Joint Committee, working with them in the office, uh, and then you end up being uh, the assistant to Brent Walker, who was right. your predecessor. Mm -hmm. And uh, then you go off to uh, law school at the University of Texas uh, and end up on the board uh, right. of the Baptist Joint Committee, where you get called eventually to be the executive director. Right. Uh, there seems to be a pretty consistent um, kind of um, warp field here uh, mm -hmm. uh, it, with about religious liberty and the Baptist Joint Committee for you. What, what animates your life about this work? What, uh, when you wake up in the morning, why does it give you so much joy? Yeah, I think, you know, as a, as a young person, when I first worked there, I knew then that that's the best job I would ever have. Okay. I mean, I really felt that as yeah. a 22-year-old. And I thought, I think it's because I so believe in the mission of the work, yes. you know, and it's rare that you can feel so 100% yes. about what you're doing. Right, and right. so that felt like a real luxury and that it brought my gifts to bear. Right. My um, interest in politics, my gifts for advocacy, mm -hmm. um, that, that it, 
I really felt that I was adding to the world in yes. what I was doing. Right. And then I went off and did other things. You know, right. I practiced law, I worked for a member of Congress, but something about this work kept drawing me back. Mm -hmm. And again, grateful for Brent Walker for inviting me to be on the board and right. continuing to have a role right. for service there. And then when he announced his retirement, I just, the call for me was just this thought in the back of my mind that just wouldn't let me go. Yes. You know, over a number of many months. And um, I'm so grateful that I answered it and uh, yes. have just found immense joy and purpose and challenge right um over the last you know several months i, I started in january 2017 so that's been a very busy time yes um but have just continued uh to to feel that this is the right place uh for me and there are so many people who have uh been interns uh at the baptist joint committee through the years including, by the way, my son. I don't know if you know that. I didn't but, know yes, that, my, yes. <laughs> my son took a semester off from college at TCU yeah. and went and worked at the Baptist Joint Committee as an intern. <laughs> and he's not in that work today, but he made great friendships yeah. and continues to care about these things because he did. But we, we have a whole, every generation seems to renew their commitment through these kinds of internships. And now we have a, a Baptist Joint Committee Fellows Program. Yes. Talk about the Fellows Program. Absolutely. Well, so we are in the fourth year of the BJC Fellows Program, uh, thanks to a generous gift from one of our supporters who had a real vision for making lifelong advocates for religious liberty and doing it in a historical context of Colonial Williamsburg. Oh. Um, so we have a competitive selection program where um, there's no religious requirement, mm -hmm. um, there's no professional requirement or educational requirement our only requirement is that you be in your first six years of your current uh, career okay. and have an abiding interest in religious liberty. Mm -hmm. And so we select 10 uh, of these talented people every year and have an intensive seminar program in Colonial Williamsburg where they get to hear from experts in the field and historical interpreters mm -hmm. and get to wrestle with these issues of religious liberty in a real way and with each other. And we are here, we're, we're focusing on their work and they're doing incredible things in their spheres yes. of influence uh, to support religious liberty and be advocates. Well, I think that's one of the beautiful things is to realize that there is this organization that does its direct lobbying work on behalf of religious liberty, but you're also training people at the local level because so many of the issues are local, aren't they? Absolutely. I mean, uh, that, that when we, we don't have to just ask you to come to Dallas or to come to Greensboro or to go to somewhere uh, to address a, a matter, you, we, by virtue of this educational program, you're training advocates right where they are. Absolutely, we have a small staff. We have a staff of 10 people. Right. And our work is mostly focused in Washington, yes. in, on Capitol Hill, where we are located. Right. Um, but we are finding that these you know, problems that are facing us, if, upholding religious liberty in an increasingly pluralistic society yes. are occurring all over the country. Right. And we have these loyal supporters that are interested in being advocates for religious mm -hmm. liberty mm -hmm. in their communities. Right. And so we really are turning an intentional eye to equipping them with the information and the skills they need right. to speak up for religious liberty, to raise their voices, uh, to protect freedom for us all. You mentioned we live in an increasingly pluralistic 
society and that the fellows program is open to people of all faiths. In fact, in the, this is the first year in our fellows program that we have uh, a Jewish participant, right? That's right. And that uh, strikes pretty close to home for you it as does. well, because as uh, many people wouldn't know, but you are married to, a, your husband is Jewish yes. and is a member of Temple Emmanuel right. here in Dallas, uh, which is- Which uh, I know you know well. I know very well, as a matter of fact. So this is a, this is a personal thing to transcend even just uh, uh, religion and denomination uh, for these going forward we've got to have more alliances around these um, these issues right right I mean we talked earlier about this Baptist commitment to religious freedom but we're yeah. not alone yes you know there are people of all faiths that uphold uh, these same values and yes. so when we can work together and bring more people to the table we will be stronger for right. it right. and we really wanted to see that last year we had our first non-christian fellow join us mm -hmm. um, this summer we're going to have uh, a muslim fellow join oh, us um, so we're continuing to broaden our tent um, we are enriched by learning more about their faith backgrounds and mm -hmm. and how that animates their interest in this issue. Mm -hmm. And I've heard from from our Jewish fellow, Sophie, um, how much she uh, has learned about Baptists mm -hmm. and how that has supported her her own faith journey. Terrific. Well, we uh, want to get into some of the actual issues that people are dealing with today and uh, in our country and also in our local communities and how uh, religious liberty is a moving target almost, uh, it seems, these days. Uh, but just to tease before we go to a break, let's remember that we have two clauses to the First Amendment, right? right? So there is uh, the free exercise clause and the non-establishment clause. And uh, just why don't you, for the sake of those who are listening or watching, just quote that first part of the First Amendment sure. for us. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. 16 mm, words. 16 words. Crucial that there are two clauses, not one. That's right. And we'll get back to uh, this whole idea of what difference it makes and how you interpret those two clauses and that there are two clauses in just a moment. Uh, but we're going to take a, a quick break to promote uh, one of our nonprofit friends and then we'll be right back. Great. The Gaston Christian Center is a forward minded ministry providing space and services to nonprofit organizations and churches in Dallas. The ministries housed there include health services for low income people, international relief, children's programs, and nine unique ethnic and refugee churches. To support their work, visit GastonChristianCenter.org. Amanda, when we talk about religious liberty and we just um, had you quote the First Amendment and the two clauses, not, no establishment of, of religion and free exercise of it. Uh, what would be examples of establishment and why would we want to avoid establishment of religion? I think we look at the government favoring one religion over another okay. or favoring religion over irreligion. Ah. And we can look back to the roots of 
the people who wrote the First Amendment and the context they were dealing in, yes. they were looking at established religions in the various colonies. Mm -hmm. And part of that establishment was tax support, mandatory yes. tax support by the citizens for uh, a, a given religion. Yes. And it was Baptist dissenters, uh, particularly in Virginia, where mm -hmm. of course many of the framers of the First Amendment lived and mm -hmm. worked, uh, that were really fighting against state support for religion yes. and fought hard for a government that would remain neutral in yes. matters of religion. Yes. So I'm here in Dallas as a Baptist pastor and I have a pretty deep disagreement with another Baptist pastor in Dallas who thinks that America is a Christian nation. Mm. And I'm sure that there are nuances to his point of view about that, though he seems to claim, as many do, that America was founded by Christians for Christians and that there is a, a, a desire to tolerate people of other religions, but that preference should be given to the historical fact that it was Christians who came and founded this country. Now, that was colonial America, and we ended up with constitutional America, and my argument to him is that we tried that and it failed, and we decided that actually a free market of religious ideas was a better way to go, and so our constitutional America did not uh, contain this notion of a preference for a, a, a religion being established, whether in our states or uh, commonwealths uh, or as a national uh, religion. Uh, but there's a difference between toleration and liberty. Absolutely. Tolerance and religion. Can you talk about that? Yes. Um, so I think sometimes these words are used interchangeably, yes. uh, but our founders intentionally chose freedom yes. and they rejected an idea of tolerance or right. toleration. Mm -hmm. And it's because when you tolerate someone, you're immediately taking a position of superiority over yes. them. Like I'm going to tolerate your view as right. opposed to a position of equality when you say we're all equally free, yes. you know, under this you know here and John Leland who was a Baptist pastor mm -hmm. who worked who was preaching in Virginia around mm -hmm. the same time as uh, as Madison and actually worked with Madison on the First Amendment um, or, or you know it as far it influenced James Madison in drafting the First Amendment it, I you know said that toleration is despicable yes you know and so they're really strong words um, mm -hmm. in that they chose they intentionally chose freedom mm -hmm. and you know in your debates with your with your Baptist pastor friend I might um, point him to the article 6 of the Constitution yes. you don't even have to go to the First Amendment right right in the Constitution itself no religious test for office right if they were really trying to establish a Christian nation, mm -hmm. it's not a good idea to set up a no religious test for office. Right. So right. I think we can see in our founding documents, in their experience, right. uh, that they were setting up a system uh, that wouldn't take sides in yes. religious fights. So what are some ways in which we are wrestling with this matter of religious liberty today in our current context uh, that you would point out to us. So people might hear our conversation and think, well, that's all very nicely theoretical. Uh, but uh, on an everyday basis, if I want to say I think it's a great idea to support religious liberty, where would be some pressure points in our society that you would 
point out? Yeah, well, I, I look at kind of what's keeping us most busy okay. right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we work, you know, mostly in Congress, uh, you know, doing advocacy and education with Congress and in the courts, filing friend mm-hmm. of the court briefs. And so, you know, in Congress, one of the biggest issues that we've been working on over the past, you know, year and a half is defending a current law that's become known as the Johnson Amendment, yes. which helps, um, you know, keep our nonprofit space is nonpartisan yes. and keep partisan campaigning out of our mm-hmm. out of our houses of worship and so I mean I'd like to kind of turn that back to you you know as a local pastor right. you know how how does religious liberty feel implicated in that issue to you what do, what do you think about the Johnson amendment and what impact changing it would have on your congregation right so a lot of people are saying that if we were to do away with the Johnson amendment we would actually be promoting free speech then, Mm -hmm. that we wouldn't be discriminating against people in religious communities and certainly pastors who can use their pulpit uh, more freely. Uh, But actually, we are all in our pulpit already free. That is, we can say anything that we believe God is leading us to say. Uh, On the other hand, uh, the, the idea of whether our organization should be able to receive Uh, donations that are tax deductible uh, does depend under the Johnson Amendment on whether we are nonpartisan, whether we are, uh, we can be political in the sense of speaking to political issues and political life, uh, but endorsing candidates or saying how we think elections ought to turn out Mm -hmm. and how people ought to vote. That's the point at which it crosses the line. Uh, And so it's, to me, uh, Amanda, the big uh, thing is uh, to remember that we're not being persecuted for something that we have actually advocated for as Baptists. We think, uh, as Baptists, or the kind of Baptist I am, uh, believes that, uh, as as Martin Luther King Jr. said, we are supposed to be the conscience of the state. Uh, we're not a, a surrogate of the state. We're, we're not. Uh, our primary duty is not to the state, but uh, but to be the moral conscience of the state. Just speak to it, not for it. And if if we get aligned with a political party or a particular candidate in some way, which is happening more and more uh, among our churches, uh, then we're all fragile human beings and. Uh, these political parties will come and go, they'll be in and out of favor, particular leaders will uh, be shown to have flaws when we had put so many hopes uh, in them, and and that's not the role of religion. The role of religion is to ask questions about the enduring qualities that we would support so that all human beings may flourish uh, under the eye of God. And so I, I think that this is healthy for religion for us to have this kind of restraint to remind us of what our duty is. Yeah, that's so eloquent. And I think I have talked to a lot of pastors about this issue. And, and that's why I wanted to, to ask you, because yeah. I, I often I get so so many words of wisdom and I think just a, a real view of what this would do to congregations. Right. And, and that's right. why we've seen overwhelmingly from faith leaders real concern yes. about the concerted effort to try to change the law in this area. Right. And, and also why, you know, we've been successful at defending the law right. from from efforts to change it. Yeah, I I think people want to be able to come to a place on their holy day and believe that they uh, are 
getting a reprieve from the 24-7 news cycle of now increasingly partisan reports of uh, how to look at the world. Um, it, it's true that, that all of our religions address public issues, uh, that that's life. We expect that our religions will teach us how to live, how to love our neighbor, and right. those sorts of things. Uh, but people don't want to hear uh, that we are just another advocacy group alongside every other advocacy groups fighting for this particular advantage. Uh, when in fact, for the most part, our religious communities tend to be historically at their best when they are actually not asking for their own privilege, but defending the privileges of others where they have often been denied. Absolutely, and, the, and just that, that notion of a free and an independent church. Right. You know, that if you become just another interest group or just right. another political action committee, what differentiates the house of worship, the church, the exactly. synagogue from any other group that's right. out there? So we are seeing a trend though in this notion of religious liberty increasingly toward people and mostly Christians it seems are making this argument that their own religious convictions are under assault. That they are now a, a more of a persecuted um, group because their positions are unpopular in the culture. Uh, and so they are using the language of religious liberty, often religious freedom, uh, as a way of talking about how they should be protected in their right to disagree with the culture. And sometimes that feels to people like the right to discriminate, in fact. Uh, we've seen this in the Masterpiece Cake uh, story. Say a little bit about that case and, and how you view it and how the Baptist Joint Committee has taken a position. Yeah, so this is a case that the Supreme Court took up this term and heard argument earlier this year and in June released a decision yes. uh, on this case. And it, the facts are that there was a gay couple in the state of Colorado. They were had were getting married in Massachusetts right. because uh, gay marriage was not legal at that time in the state of Colorado. Went to a cake sh shop, asked for the baker to bake a cake for their wedding celebration, and the baker said, "No, it's against my religion." Right. And um, of course, this case worked its way all up to way to the Supreme Court. And mm -hmm. the court was asked, "Does the baker have a right to a religious ex an exemption based on his religious views?" Mm -hmm. Um, from the law that would generally say that the baker had to serve any person who came in uh, to his cake shop. Right. And in this case, the Baptist Joint Committee took the position that in this particular context, this commercial context of a business open to the public mm -hmm. that was subject to the public accommodation law that mm -hmm. the people of Colorado had passed mm -hmm. that said the business would be open to anyone regardless of sexual orientation, right. that, the, that granting the exemption in, to the baker in this case mm -hmm. would really harm religious liberty in the long run right. because it was impossible to craft an exemption for him that wouldn't also open up the possibility for an exemption for someone else to refuse to serve someone right. that might harm someone of another religious minority. Right. The Supreme Court in their decision decided not to decide that very complicated and very difficult issue and instead found that the Baker's rights had been, um, his First Amendment rights had been 
infringed, infringed upon. upon by the commission that was de deciding the case because they had denigrated his religious views. And in fairness, there there is truth to the fact that sometimes we, uh, you know, even if it's on your side of the ledger, that there's a, there should be an expectation of respect, right? That civility, uh, civility, and and in the passion of these cases, somehow that is often lost, and you still have to drive to the principles involved, don't you? Right. So right. This is going to come up again, and sure. we're not finished with this, and and then it you know it opens the door to uh, how many other kinds of similar cases uh, will be in. Yeah. Uh, but. Uh, I, I think when, when you step back from it all, Amanda, it does seem that one of the reasons the Baptist Joint Committee exists is because the rest of us don't have the time or expertise to wake up every morning and say, well, I know how to parse through all the complicated nuances of this general principle of religious liberty. We need partners uh, to help us think through that, and you're doing that work, and we're very appreciative. Thank you. But it doesn't really let us off the hook, does it? No, it requires we all have a role to support role. it. Yeah. So if, if in the last few seconds we, we have together, you could say to sort of rank and file people in the pews, whether they're Baptists or other kinds of Christians, Jews, Muslims, uh, people of no faith. Uh, when we think about our responsibility as, uh, as citizens, what are some simple things that we can do to promote religious liberty and, and, and bind up the wounds that have uh, been caused by our, our failure to do that with each other? Well, I would invoke the golden rule. Okay. You know, that, that we hear through the words of Jesus, you know, of, um, you know, treating others as we would want to be treated and loving our neighbor as ourself. Really comes down to that. And, and really thinking about that I, if, if I don't want my religious liberty infringed, then I shouldn't infringe on the religious liberty of others. If I don't, wouldn't want the government to promote someone else's religion, I shouldn't be asking the government to promote my own. And if we can view each other through those lenses mm -hmm. and, and think about how upholding religious liberty for everyone will uphold it for all of us, including ourselves, good. I think we'll be in a better position. Wonderful. Well, thank you for all your good work. We look forward to times ahead. Always interesting in religious liberty work. Never boring. That's right. Yeah. Thank you. Amanda. Thank you. Okay. Great. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Guest coordination and social media by Upward Strategy Group. Here's grateful appreciation to Evolve Technology for location production facilities. Evolve Technology for home audio, video, and lighting design. Enjoy more, think less with Evolve. See their great work at EvolveDallas.com. Thanks to Wendy Crispin Caterer for guest parking accommodations. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2018 by Faith Commons. The Gaston Christian Center is a forward-minded ministry providing space and services to nonprofit organizations and churches in Dallas. The ministries housed there include health services for low-income people, international relief, children's programs, and nine unique ethnic and refugee churches. To support their work, visit GastonChristianCenter.org.